0: Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter number 5. This summer, we kicked off uh, uh, a series where every week we're talking about just encounters, uh, meetings with the Master, talking about encounters uh, with Jesus Christ. What a difference He can make. This morning, we're talking about a miraculous makeover, a miraculous makeover. And, uh, you know, we live life in this HGTV generation, and uh, that's my favorite You know, Channel on the television set. Uh, but when you're when you're watching it, uh, you have the home makeover. I'll start with home makeover and old tie. You know, move that bus, and they move the bus, and you see this makeover, this home that's been made over. Or uh, my, my favorite is actually a uh, fixer upper. You know, Chip and Joanna Gaines, y'all have seen those folks, and they fix up a house. Go in there and take a house and fix it all up, and, and all of a sudden the show comes to an end and they say, are you ready to see your fixer upper? And uh, and they and they pull the little things out, and all of a sudden you see a house that's almost unrecognized completely transformed from the inside and on to the outside. And uh, although they are a dime a dozen, in other words, there are many people that can take a house and renovate a home inside and outside, but only one, only one, can take the people that are in the house and make transformation happen. There's only one who is a miracle working kind of God, and that is Jesus Christ. And He's the one I want to talk about today, the one that can make a difference in our world and in our lives as individuals. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse number 17 that if any man's in Christ, if anybody's in Christ, they've been saved, in other words, they're a new creation, they're, they're different, uh, their nature is different. He, he, he changes them. Us from the inside out, it's not about the outward manifestation, but what he does in the heart that makes all of the difference in the world. When he begins the work in the heart, it manifests itself on the outside. But he's in the life changing business and I'm grateful to God. In fact the Bible says in Mark chapter, uh, or not Mark chapter 5 but Luke chapter 18 verse number 27 that his whole purpose for coming was to seek and to save the lost. Mark 5 is an interesting chapter uh, simply because it gives three stories and all the stories are just simply saying to you and to me that no matter what you're faced with in this world Jesus Christ can make a difference. That he has has all authority, that he has all power, all dominion over anything and everything uh, and so and so, no matter what we're faced with, whether it be death, you know there was a little girl, we talked about a story of a little girl who was dying and the world couldn't help her but Jesus could. There was another story about a lady that exhausted all of her efforts uh, and everything this world could do for her and, 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 and yet at the end of the day she was no better off but Jesus stepped in. This morning we're talking About a demon possessed man and who desperately needed deliverance, and Jesus Christ again displayed his. Wonderworking power. We're talking today simply about a miraculous makeover. And uh, and I don't know where you're coming from today. Hey, God knows where you are. Maybe today you're here and you would say, man, I need to be made over. My home needs to be made over. My family needs to be made over. I'm telling you today that Jesus Christ, by his power, is able to do the impossible. What is, in fact, uh, impossible with you and with me is definitely possible with him so here's the story mark chapter 5 beginning in verse number 1 read along with me as we go so the bible says they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. it's interesting when you're reading and 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 in fact in the first service i made mention i wasn't going to go here but uh uh so so the disciples here's the story here's what's been happening all right so jesus has been teaching them in the process right there's always something more to learn. He's been teaching them uh, uh, about fear and overcoming fear. It was just the night before when they were coming across this sea that the storm came up and the disciples were scared. They were down there in the bow of the ship crying out and Jesus was asleep and Jesus heard the cries of his children. He woke up and he said, hey, stop blowing to the wind and stop causing such a ruckus to the waves and everything just stopped. And then they now finish their journey and have arrived at the other side of the sea. And, and, and wouldn't you know it, I mean, they're shaking. I mean, put yourself in that situation. If I had been out there in a little ship overnight, and I thought I was fixing to die, and finally I get to the sea, I'm like, whew, it's a good thing to be standing on solid ground. They weren't no sooner than standing on solid ground, and a naked man came out of the graveyard hollering like crazy, coming down towards them. I don't know how all of the story worked out, but I would imagine if we could have been there, Peter, James, and John might have all been back in the boat of the ship Shaking in fear. I don't know, but nonetheless, that's what happens here. All right, that's where we are in the story. Everybody okay? You with me this morning? All right, so verse number two when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit, with uh, uh, <clears throat> met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was able or strong enough to subdue him, constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and gnashing himself with stones. Now seeing Jesus from a distance... He ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Verse number 9, and he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many He began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. Verse 12, the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushing down the steep bank of the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. Now they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demons possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Now those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him, talking about Jesus, to leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. Now, verse 19 says, And he did not let him But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis uh, what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was (coughs) amazed. This is an incredible story, (coughs) a miraculous story makeover takes place in the middle of this story. Life, when you're talking about life. You know, a lot of people, when we talk about life, they call life a game and they play it as such. In fact, your philosophy of what life is all about, to say uh, 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 life is just a game. In other words, uh, there, there are a lot of folks that live life in such a way as if hey, this is all there is, and so I just simply live it up. If it feels good, do it. That's exactly how we live our life, and there's many folks that live in such a way, but the fact of the matter is, uh, a life is more than just simply a playground. It's a battleground where Jesus Christ has gifted us and given us the opportunity and the privilege to live life, and we are accountable to him one day. And so while we are playing games in in this thing we call life, what happens? is the devil is playing for real and he's playing for keeps. In fact, the Bible says in John ten ten. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so the question's gotta be asked, why are you going there this morning with this story? Simply because oftentimes what happens in life, as all of us very well know, we don't have to look very far. In fact, even here, we may have some folks that are struggling with shackles this morning that at one point in their life, they started out playing with sin as if it's simply fun. And the fact of the matter is, Sin is fun for a while, but when you're talking about the consequences, they are eternal. And so, there's people that come out and they say, Man, I'm just gonna live it up. I mean, we're only young once, we only go around one time. So, while you're young, just live it up. Sow your wild oats. But the problem is, when you're sowing your wild oats, they will come back and they will bite you very hard in the end. Are y'all all all right this morning? So this story, when you're looking at this story, <clears throat> in verse number 1 through 5, we have a description, basically, of the condition of a sinner. It's a description of the condition of a, of a sinner. The fact of the matter is, what we do is we don't look at sin as God sees sin. We see it as not a big deal when the fact of the matter is, God says, oh, it's incredibly destructive. It will destroy your life. And so in this picture of this man, this is a literal story of a demon-possessed man. Now having said that, this literal story of a demon-possessed man is a vivid depiction of a spiritual reality of life without Jesus Christ. The Bible says, here's a fella in verse number 3, and this guy is living life in a graveyard. This guy's living life in a graveyard. And when you're talking about living life in a graveyard, we're not talking about a graveyard today even though I still wouldn't live in a graveyard today because it's creepy. But the graveyards today, when we talk about graveyards today, graveyards are manicured and they have all these flowers out there today. That's not the kind of graveyard we're talking about here. We're talking about a cave that's been honed out of the side of a mountain where there are dead, decaying corpses that are laying there, disgusting, putrefying smells. And this man is living among them Simply because he has become desensitized to even his surroundings that are putrefying. And that's what sin is. And when you think of the world in which we live, a lost person has no heartbeat for God. And they live life in a world where there are despicable sins all around us. And we've grown so numb to those things that we no longer flinch. We no longer smell the putrefying odor that comes from sin. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, we're living in a world where we say, in fact, this morning, and, 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 and let, me just, let me just say, all sin is a stench in the nostrils of God. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to recognize that. But at the end of the day, I tell you what we don't need to do is we don't need to say, hey, this sin is okay, but not that sin. All sin, all sin before God. When you're talking about, for example, the sin of homosexuality, we're living in a day where our culture says it is only the one who speaks against it that is in the wrong. When the fact of the matter is homosexuality is sin against God Almighty. In fact, we're living in a day where when I first saw that on television where you have a man kissing a man or a woman kissing a woman, it's repulsive. And if you're not careful before long, you're in this world so long that it no longer even causes you to shake when you see it. But we're living in a world where they're completely dead spiritually. In other words, there's no heartbeat for the things of God. They're numb towards Things of God. Ephesians, the Bible says it like this this is a picture of a man who is lost. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 12. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, before you got saved. Listen, a lot of folks don't see themselves as disgusting as they really were. Ephesians, the Bible says in 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He says you were dead spiritually. You know, when you're talking about a dead person, a dead person doesn't have a a pulse. A, A dead person doesn't have a heartbeat. A dead person, a lost person, doesn't have a heart for the things of God. And and, and the fact of the matter is, just because you come to church doesn't mean you're alive in Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean you've been born again. You must be born again to have a heartbeat for the things of God. In other words, there's people that come every week, don't think twice about robbing God. Don't think twice about not assembling with the brethren. Why? Because there's no heartbeat there. God help us. This man had a helpless condition. He was a man that nobody could help him. He was living life completely unrestrained. The Bible says in verse 3 and 4, they tried shackling this dude, but he broke out of the shackles. He broke out of the chains. He lived life unrestrained. What do you mean unrestrained? What I mean is I'm going to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it because that is my life. You ever heard that before? It's my life. Nobody's going to tell me how to live it. Not even God Almighty. And, and And that's the declaration of a lost person. That's what that means to be lost. Living life unrestrained. Nobody can fix me. Nobody can help me. Nobody. It's a helpless condition. You know what happens oftentimes is People are seeking along the way. And they're wanting satisfaction, but they're looking in all the wrong places. I don't want to hear anybody's help. I'm just going to go at it alone. You say, how how is this a depiction with this man being so crazy as a person who's lost? Could you imagine, listen, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, what do you mean by that? That God Almighty, the one who spoke everything to existence, he's the one that created you and he created me. That God Almighty knows everything about me and he knows everything about you and he knows all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because we're born with this sinful, wicked nature. But that he loves me and he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... That whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That God sent His Son, Jesus, into this world not to condemn us of our sin, but to save us from our sin. Each and every last one of us. Now let me ask you a question. The person who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. What is that saying? That means that we believe in the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means there's only one way to be saved. Only one way to have my sins forgiven. And it is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He's the spotless lamb of God. He's our, what we call the substitutionary atonement. He took my place and he took your place on the cross. Here's the question. To know that God's word says there's only one way to be saved and it's through faith in Jesus Christ, by his grace. And to reject that offer and to be able to every night go to bed and not think twice and sleep soundly through the night. How crazy is that? Not to understand the seriousness of the condition with which you live life. One heartbeat from hell. One heartbeat from hell. How do you rest at night? You see, we, we see a picture of this crazy man. He says, oh, that's crazy. No, I tell you what's crazy. is a person who rejects the invitation to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's crazy. And he's given us a picture of what that looks like. This man knew I have a need. In fact, I want out of my present condition. I'm not happy here. In fact, the Bible says at verse number 5, every night he was cutting himself and crying out. I, I can't help of the sights and the sounds that he's telling us about. Every night, hearing a man shrieking. I just wonder. I wonder how far was this graveyard from town. Did, did the townspeople hear it at night? And we're not talking about air-conditioned homes with windows I wonder wonder how many nights there might have been a little boy going to bed, hearing a man crying from the graveyard and going in because he was afraid. Daddy, daddy, what's that? And the daddy says, hey, son, listen. Don't play games with sin because it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. There was a man, helpless and hopeless, but Jesus came. And what a difference Jesus will make. In our life, the Bible in verses number six through thirteen has the confrontation. I call it of the Savior. The confrontation of the Savior. Jesus got out of the boat. The man came running over, and the man bowed down. It's an interesting way when you look at this story. This man who was demon possessed came running over there and bowed down to Jesus Christ. What in the world did he bow down to Jesus Christ for? Well, do you know that demons are actually uh, very much aware of theology? Uh, uh, demons were there in the beginning. Uh, they're fallen angels that saw this Son of God. God, seated on the throne in heaven and so they knew very much who he was not only do they know who he was I believe they had a grasp on what I would call eschatology the end time events they know that their days are numbered they know that their days are limited when you're looking at this story it's it's presented in a few different places in scripture and over in Matthew's gospel Matthew chapter 8 Verse number 29, notice what these demons say to Jesus Christ as they're bowing down to him. They cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They were very much aware of where we just walked through in the book of Revelation. That hey, listen, at the end of the millennial kingdom, they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever and forever and forever. So they're saying, hey, it's not time for that yet. They hadn't... Awareness about them, of eschatology, but also theology, the Son of God. They recognized who he was, and when you recognize who he is, you respond appropriately. In fact, the Bible says about these guys, James chapter 2, verse number 19, says it like this. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. In other words, there was a fear in the heart of demons. Why? Because I recognize who this is. And you know, if we're not careful, we live in a world where we've lost the fear of God. Proverbs chapter number 1, verse number 7, tells us about the fear of God. It says, the fear of God, is the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, what happens to us if we're not careful is we forget who He is. That He does, in fact, take sin seriously and there's no fear you know you know where fear begin you know where we learn to we begin the lessons of fear in life you know where the lessons in fear of life begin they begin in the home the proper response to authority proper response to authority I mean I was raised in my home where I have a fear of my mother and father I really do even today And I'm not talking about an unhealthy fear where every time dad scratches his head, I'm ducking. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting beat as a child growing up. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying because I have a healthy fear of my mother and father, it serves as a deterrent to foolishness, always has in my life. How does it serve as a deterrent to foolishness? Well, number one, I have a fear of discipline because my parents disciplined me. (laughs) Y'all ever been disciplined before? (laughs) Whatever works, right? And, and, and you, learn that, you learn that lesson starting at home, how to respond properly to authority. And where there's no discipline in the house, a child doesn't know how to respond properly to authority. And so we, we, we begin with, with the lesson of discipline. But I'll tell you another reason why there's a fear of my mother and father. It's not just the fear of discipline. Although even though I'm a 53-year-old man, my mom will still whip me if she needed to. But, um, so discipline still serves that. But i tell you the second thing is the fear of disappointment. I don't want to disappoint my mother and father. And the same is true when we're a child of the king. There should be a fear in our heart, a fear of discipline. Because the Bible is very clear. He does discipline those that he loves. It does come to us Sometimes it's sickness. Sometimes it could even be a premature death. He disciplines those he loves. And when you're before God Almighty, the only one that can say, hey, heart, stop. My next heartbeat is a gift from him. And I'm grateful for that. The demons believed and they feared. This man could not get to Jesus. But you know what? Jesus came to where this man was. That's what he did and that's what he still does. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. God demonstrates his great love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He comes and meets us where we are. And one of the lies from the devil that people oftentimes believe is this. I have blown it and blown it and blown it and blown it and blown it. And God could not love or save someone like me. In fact, there are many that say, man, I've got to fix myself up. And do you know that's impossible? You can't can't fix yourself up. But guess what? He didn't lay down his life because you were lovable. He did it while we were still sinners. And this morning, if you hear and you say, man, I don't know if he could love me. Let me tell you something. He loves you. He knows everything about you and he loves you Dearly. <clears throat> the Bible tells us the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when Jesus came to the man, <clears throat> he addressed his problem. And you know what the problem all of us have is sin. This man had a demon. But the fact of the matter is all of us have a sin problem. But Jesus addressed the problem. He said, hey, who are you? He said, Legion. And he's just saying, hey, Legion. Legion is a, is a, is a term describing... Again, a, a, a battalion of, of Roman soldiers. Uh, some would say 6,000. Not sure. That doesn't mean that there are 6,000 demons in this man. just means that there is a group of demons that have had their way in the life of this person. He had a problem. But I want you to notice how Jesus came to him. You know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't look at that man and come to that man and say... <clears throat> You made your bed, now you can sleep in it. It's not what he did. He, he focused on the problem. And in so doing, he showed love to this fella. And you know, if we're not careful as a church, what we can do as individuals within the church is get so focused on the issues that we miss the person. We, we we can say, oh, well, you're in that situation because of what you've done. Well, aren't you grateful to God for his grace for keeping you from there? Amen. I mean, where where would I be without God's grace? And these people need to know that there is a God who loves them dearly. Unconditional love. <clears throat> I was thinking a thought this week when I was reading this passage of scripture. You got a man that nobody wanted to go around. Nobody wanted to be around. That man's crazy. I mean, what if he gets crazy on me? And so people were more concerned about their own safety than his soul. And I was thinking and thought this week, and I thought, if the church, if the church just learned to love like Jesus loves, just learned to love unconditionally, How different would this world be? It's easy to call sin out. It's easy to call stupid stupid if that's what you need to do. It's easy. But to love is difficult. It's supernatural. But God will enable us and empower us if we're willing. This guy needed to be loved. Jesus met his need. And we have the conversion that takes place. Verse number 14, all of a sudden the herdsmen, they took off front and ran down to the city. You're not going to believe what just happened. We were out there with all of our swine and Jesus came. And that man that was so crazy coming out of the graves, he cast demons out of him into our swine, into our pigs. And they ran down the hill, old deviled hams. <laughs> they ran down the hill, jumped in the lake and died. The people heard it and said, man, what in the world's going on? And so they came out to check it out. You would too. I would too. What in the world? We all know that legion. We all, we all know who that crazy man was coming out, breaking out of chains. And they came running out there. And the Bible says in verse 15 that they met a man that was changed completely. The Bible says, look at it, verse 15. They came to Jesus and they observed the man who had been demon-possessed. But he's now sitting down. There's a calm about him. There's a calm. You know the Bible says. John 14 verse number 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. The peace of God. I wonder this morning. If anybody say. I would love to have. Peace in my spirit. Hey, listen. You cannot and will not ever experience the peace of God until you have peace with God. And the only way you will ever have peace with God is if you're born again. To have that which separates me from him taken care of That would be sin, and the only way we deal with that is through Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus says, oh, I want you to experience peace, but you got to come to me. you got to repent and come to me. This man now has a calm about him. Not only does he have a calm about him, the Bible talks about him, says he's sitting down, and he's clothed. He's not naked anymore. He's clothed. There's a manifestation on the outside of what's happening on the inside. I now recognize my foolish ways, and I'm changing. That's what happens when a person gets saved. They're changed from the inside out. A verse I shared a moment ago, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's he's changed. His nature has changed. He's different. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence And as a result of that, he's no longer out of his mind, but he's under control. And so Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person who has been born. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what do we see? we see a sinner who has been converted by a wonderful loving Savior and his life has changed forevermore. You would think, you would think that the townspeople would be elated and say, hey, we need some better homes in this place. We need some better people. But instead, they were afraid. And they said, oh, In fact, the Bible says they begged Jesus, Hey, would you leave us alone? Verse 17. Would you leave us alone? Would you go on and leave us alone? It's a sad day when pigs are more important than people. In other words, the cost of fellowship just costs me too much. Just leave me alone. this man goes on. We have a commission that comes from the Savior in the closing verses. Verse 18, 19, and 20. Interesting story. So this man says, hey, Jesus, uh, would you mind if I just hang out with you? Would you mind? Can, can I go with you? Can I leave and go with you? And just be with you. And Jesus Said, no, I got something better. I want you to stay here. And I want you to tell people what I did for you. You know, there's a lot of folks <clears throat> that simply want to sit. It's it's wonderful. Who can blame this fellow, right? Who can blame this man? In fact, in fact, here's a fellow that I don't know his backstory. We don't know anything about his backstory. But I would imagine that he's a man that hasn't experienced much love in his lifetime. Desperately needing to be loved. And I'm telling you, there's a whole world out there that desperately needs to be loved. But you know what the problem is? Sometimes the church, if we're not careful, can become a people who would say, and again, who can blame you? Hey, I just want to sit in the presence of God. I just want and, and that's a good thing. I just want to sit in the presence of God. but I don't want to share the goodness of God. Jesus said, "Oh, it's good to be in my presence, but I want you to go and share of my goodness. Oh, it's twofold. (laughs) I want you to share of my goodness. God help us to be faithful in the sharing business. Hey, so I watch this HGTV stuff. And um, every time I turn that thing off, I look around my house and I think, man, I need to. I, I need to do that. I need to do that. I need to, y'all ever do that? Look, at it, you? I, say, Man, I need to fix it all up. I need to fix it all up. You know what keeps me from fixing it all up? <laughs> Money. <laughs> Man, I wish I had a budget of $100,000 to sink into home improvement. Money. But do you know that we can have a miraculous makeover that we can speak of today? And it doesn't cost you anything. It's already been paid for by Jesus Christ. Anybody here today would say, I want peace in my heart. Man, I want joy. I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If you're here today and that's where you are, I'm inviting you to come today. Come today. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved today. Church. Does the world know that God loves them? That there's hope for them? God help us not just be content with sitting in his presence, but let us also be busy about sharing of his goodness. God help us. Would you join me for prayer? We're going to pray, and after I pray, we'll sing a song. And when the song is completed, I'm going to be down front. Jeff's going to be down front with me. We'll have others that are here. And maybe you're here today, and you would say, man, I I want to talk to somebody about a relationship with Jesus. This is your moment. This is your time, and I'm inviting you to come today. You come this morning. Maybe you're here today, and you say, man, I've got some people in my life. That it is so evident that they're shackled. Hey church, let's start praying. Start loving. Start sharing. Oh God, help us. Father, thank you for this moment, this morning. I thank you for your amazing grace that's greater than all of our sin. God, help us to see our sin, my sin, like you do. God, thank you for your mercy. Again, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your enabling Holy Spirit, empowering us to be your hands and feet. God, help us as we go. Know how best to be your ambassadors. Father, I pray for those, whether they be in here or online, if they've never been born again, that your Holy Spirit would knock today, God, That your Holy Spirit would draw them, show them their need for a Savior. Oh God, that they would cry out to you today. Thank you for these moments. Thank you for this opportunity even now to respond during these days of grace. We love you and may you be glorified as we respond. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.